Welcome to another of the Retire Notes podcast series. I'm Bruce Manners, the author of Retirement Ready and founder of the RetireNotes.com website. Today I'm in conversation with Paul Borges. Paul is a couples counsellor and lecturer in counselling at Avondale College of Higher Education. Welcome, Paul, and thanks for being available. My pleasure, Bruce. Yeah, today's topic is about keeping marriages strong as we get older. Give us the big picture, Paul. What keeps a marriage strong? Well, Bruce, some of the best research we have out there does relate strong marriage more to behaviours rather than personality characteristics. That's good news because it's really hard to change personality characteristics. It's a little bit easier to change behaviour. That's true. So somebody who has uh, done extensive research in this area is John Gottman, written numerous books and uh, been studying couples for about 45 years now. Yes, And the conclusions that John Gottman comes to are actually surprisingly simple. And one of those conclusions is that what keeps good marriages going long-term seems to be very similar with what actually keeps good friendships going long-term. Okay. The little things that we do, the little ways that we try to connect, the fairly trivial things that we may not think are actually that's significant, but a whole lot of those together actually keep us connected. He calls these bids for connection, and that might be a smile, it might be taking a partner's hand, it might be giving a spontaneous cuddle, it may be something simply as as asking, can I make you some toast, or can I make you a cup of tea, or I'm going down the shops, is there anything you need? These are all ways of saying to our partner, I notice you, you're still there, you may have been there for 40 years, but I'm still happy you're there, and I still acknowledge that you're a very, very important presence in my life. So being a friend with your partner is the key? It's foundational. That's what the best research tells us, yeah. Okay. Now, I guess couples, when they're young, come together and they say, you know, I want to get old with you. What really happens as we get older as couples? What are the issues? Well, it's interesting that you say that because when couples say that, I want to grow old with you, you know, and they're 22 and 23 and they're (laughs) looking starry-eyed into each other's eyes, of course, what they don't realize is they have no idea who the person is that they want to grow old with. What they know is a certain image that that person has projected. Uh, And we spend the rest of our lives trying to actually get to know the person that is that is underneath that image that we got in the first year or two. And the person keeps changing, I imagine. And the person keeps changing. And, of course, that's one of the real challenges. I think the main thing that happens to us, well, it's probably a couple of things. There's the individual developmental processes, and they are physical and they are cognitive and they are moral. Also, our faith also develops if we come from a religious background or perspective or align ourselves with a faith tradition. The way that we see a higher power or God, that often changes as well. So there's those individual changes. Then there's also changes in the family life cycle. Yes. We're at a very, very different place in our 50s, for example, as we're packing up our kids' belongings and taking them to their first home that they've established either individually or with their new partner, that's a very, very different stage than when we ourselves were doing that and setting up our home together in our early 20s. And there's emotional processes associated with that, a certain amount of loss. Yes. There can be a real grieving that, wow, we used to be a family of five and now there's just 
two of us and all we've yeah. got left of our kids is the dog they wanted when they were little who's also growing old now. <laughs> yes. why, why do they always leave the dog at home? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> they leave the dog at home because we as parents have been feeding the dog for most of their <laughs> life because the seven-year-old never actually followed through on their promises to feed the dog. Don't you remember that, Bruce? Yes. Um, so, you know, the kids' pets become ours. But the general principle is that in marriage, for example, couples look at each other across the kitchen table and now wonder what they've got to talk about because there isn't kind of all the, the management of children issues to talk about. Both of them have settled into their career, maybe even starting to count down towards retirement. This is where some couples then find that there's not much between them anymore. Okay. Imagine a couple in their 50s, maybe 60s, and the marriage is kind of going nowhere. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give them? I think the first thing, and this is, I guess, a very typical counsellor statement, Bruce, um, okay. and, and it's, it's simple, but it's not easy to do, and that's start talking. Actually start talking about what is going on. We have a term in the counseling field that we call meta-communication, communicating about how we communicate. So we may need to talk about the fact that we never talk. Okay. Or talk about the fact that all of our talking is actually very surface level. Hi, how are you? Gee, it's hot today. Yeah, did you see this on the news? That sort of stuff. Yeah. Which is fine, but it doesn't build closeness and it doesn't really build intimacy. Okay, so what should they talk about? One of the great things to talk about is how you're really doing. What's it like for you now that the kids... How hard was that for you on Sunday when we tacked up our only daughter and moved her into a flat knowing that we will see a lot less? What was that like? Rather than just, gee, glad that was done. Did you remember to give her this? To actually kind of talk on the more emotional level, you know, what's it like for you? Because I'm kind of crying on the inside, you know, I'm struggling with this. What's it like for you? Those sort of conversations are incredibly rare, but it's those conversations that really build closeness. When I understand not just what's in your head, but actually understand what's in your heart, then I'm going to be drawn closer to you. So it's like being real with each other. Yeah, it is very much about being real. And it's also about taking the risk to be vulnerable. Okay. And the more risk we take in relationship, the closer we get. There is a reward for taking that risk. When I make myself vulnerable, as long as my emotions and feelings aren't put down, I'm not told to get over it or anything like that, but I'm heard and listened and accepted for where I am emotionally, then I'm going to feel more connected to that person. Okay. Look, the current divorce rate in Australia is about 40%. That was a figure I saw a while back. Are there ways of divorce-proofing your marriage? I'm thinking particularly for older couples. Well, the word proof, of course, makes any of us in this field very nervous because <laughs> you, you can't actually get guarantees and you can't give people guarantees. Can you do things to make divorce less likely? Definitely. Yes. Can you 100% be sure that that means you won't get divorced? No, I don't think so. But I think it's very much about what sort of things we do to keep our marriage vital, interesting, and the place where we celebrate the togetherness that we have. I think there are actually three spaces in marriage that have to be protected. We talk a fair bit about how two people become one when they're married. Yes. And I think we haven't actually thought through what we're saying. Yeah, because are we saying we've become one and our own personal identity has merged into some sort of blob with our partner? Yes. Yeah. Is that really what we mean? 
Or should we talk more in terms of the space of us that we create when the two of us come together? So, in other words, I'm still me and she's still her and together we create a third space that we enjoy being at. And we're not there all the time, so sometimes I'm off doing my own stuff that is very little to do with my partner and she's not particularly interested in that part of my life necessarily because it's not what makes her interested or particularly does it for her. But then there should be a number of things in that us space that we know we can do together. Do together, yeah. And that's really, really important. One of the things, Bruce, that I often ask couples who are in trouble, I say to them, when's the last time you had fun together? And it is amazing that they struggle to remember the last time they had fun together and probably no surprise they're in a marriage counsellor's office talking about how their marriage is in trouble and they can't remember the last time they had fun together or they give us an instant which is actually about fun with the family or fun with others but not actually fun just the two of them together. So one of the reasons we marry the person we're with is because it's fun being with them and then suddenly 30 years later it's not fun anymore. It's purely obligation and responsibility. Yeah, and that's got to be tough. And that's going to be tough because, yeah, you can do it based on that. I made a promise so I'm sticking here even if it kills me. <laughs> but um, it's kind of saying, well, you know, marriage is about suffering and I'm now suffering and then I'm okay with that and, you know, kind of doing the martyr thing. I, I think marriage has the potential to be so much more than that, even for us later in life and even for those who've been married 30 or 40 years. And every now and again, and Bruce, you probably know people like that just like I do, people who you see who've been together 40, maybe even 50 years, and the body language and the humour and the stuff that goes between them, you can tell they're still connected. Yes. You go, wow, they actually still really enjoy each other's company. They enjoy hanging out together. They enjoy each other's humour. They enjoy the things that probably help bring them together in the first place. And they're also good to be with. Those couples are good to be with because there's energy there and there's interaction and there's vitality. Yeah. So let's talk about divorce and remarriage for older couples. What are the complications for the couple remarriage at this stage of life? Quite a few, actually. One of the very obvious ones is that couples who are in their second marriage often have a very different place financially than couples who are with their first partner. Okay. There are financial struggles. Divorce is expensive. And it's funny that when you divide assets in two, yes. that there's never 50% left for each partner. There's expenses, there's all kinds of things happen. Yes. Lawyers take a bit often if the lawyers are involved. So it is not unusual for people to come through a divorce and uh, financially be a good deal worse off and sometimes be totally broke. So that's an issue for the couple. Then there's the obvious issue that in many cases in a second marriage there are children from the previous marriages and how those children are managed, how those relationships work that can be really really tricky we call them blended families often Mm. and uh, they, they can be really tricky to manage i think the other thing that people perhaps don't think about enough before they get married a second time is there's often been a period of singleness and sometimes long years of being single before the second marriage takes place and during that time we've often become quite entrenched in our habits our ways of living the way we have our house And then suddenly this other person comes in and we can get very precious about the way that we think things ought to be done. Yes, that sounds obvious, but it's real, eh? 
And often not talked about the fact that she likes it this way, he's always done it this way and sees no reason why he has to change. And then there's, you know, the fun and games of whose house do we live in? You have a house, I have a house, but I like my house a lot more than I like your house. Well, I don't really like your house, so why should I move into your house? You know, and usually for financial reasons, decisions are made that one person is happier with than the other. Yes. And uh, some resentment can arise out of that, that, well, I, I'm still really missing living in this part of the town or this city or where I was. And I gave up all this just to move into your house and kind of you owe me now. So there's all kinds of negotiations, potential complications if the communication processes aren't open and honest and transparent. How do they work through these to become strong as a couple? Well, again, as I said before, the first thing, obviously, is to be able to have a communication process okay. that actually works, that isn't defensive and reactive, but that you know avoids blaming and I statements and all of those things that mess up communication and simply talks about feelings. Yep. This is hard for me because it takes the blame out of it rather than, well, you made me shift here, therefore. Yes. Much better statement, obviously, is I'm struggling a bit with this. I know why it's important to you and I don't regret doing this. However, I just need you to know that I'm struggling a little bit. Now, if couples find that difficult to do, yes, because they in invariably get reactive and get triggered, you know, their alarm system goes off and they go into primitive fight or flight mode, <laughs> then maybe they need to get somebody else involved in that process. And this is where a professional marriage counsellor can be really helpful. Yeah. Okay. In the 50s and 60s, we sometimes, let me use the word rut, we sometimes get in a rut with our lives, and I'm sure that happens with couples as well. How can they bring life back into their relationship? I think the important thing is to actually experiment doing different things. Yes. To actually go, well, what if we learned this together? Or what if we did this? Or what if we you know, flew over to this part of the world and volunteered or did something we hadn't thought we would ever do before? And I think also often one partner suggests something and the other partner, because it's unfamiliar to them, automatically says, no, 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 I, I could never do that. No, 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 I could never do that. And, and therefore squashes an attempt to keep the marriage vital by having new experiences together. Being a bit adventurous. Being a bit adventurous, doing something you never thought you would do, maybe partly because your partner wouldn't mind doing it or just because there's the potential that you could really enjoy it. There's also the potential you may not, but that's the risk we take. So I think an inability to take any risk and to kind of go, well, it's the worst thing that can happen. Well, the worst thing that can happen, we went on that trip and didn't enjoy it and wasted a little bit of money. Well, there's worse things in life than that. Yes. And being able to kind of take those risks, otherwise people end up just doing that which they're familiar with and not much else, which I don't think particularly helps in keeping a marriage alive. I think the second thing in that is, has the communication, as we said before, has the communication gone back to very much a cliche level yes. where we say, you know, there'd be a minimum to each other or we might share a bit of information such as, oh, I bought some milk today and the other person says... Oh, that's great. Good. <laughs> uh, was it on sale? You know, and if, and that's about as exciting as the conversation gets. The fact that you saved a little bit on the groceries. You know, we need to do a bit better than that. We need to be able to actually talk at a bit of a deeper level. The guy I was referring to before, John Gottman. Yes. One of the things he found when he studied couples is he found that the people who stayed together long term and had 
good marriages reported good levels of marital satisfaction is that they had developed what he called love maps. Okay. In other words, just a pile of information that people knew about the other person and they got that information because they asked questions. Yes. And this is questions such as, what's the worst movie that you ever saw? What's the best movie you ever saw? Who would be your very, very closest friend? Who's the person that hurt you the most throughout your life? You know, those kind of questions, because they're the questions that demand a bit of conversation and may even demand a bit of risk-taking and making yourselves a bit vulnerable. Yeah, well, the movies are kind of shallow, aren't they? But who's hurt you? That gets a bit deep. That gets a little bit deep. Even the chat about a movie, though, it isn't just about (laughs) necessarily okay, you like that movie, tell me more about what really appealed to you. What is it out of that movie? Because I watched it and did nothing for me, so I'm really interested to know what it actually did for you so we can make that conversation a little bit deeper. Interesting, Gottman has an app for $2.99 called Love Maps. <laughs> um, okay. Available from the App Store. And it's got 50 questions, I think. Questions that probably a lot of couples actually haven't asked each other. Okay. And a couple can be sitting down and they simply pass the phone backwards and forwards to each other to ask the question. So one person answers it and then the other person answers it. It's something I sometimes give for homework for my couples to do, to spend $2.99 to download (laughs) the app as a way of of kind of priming the pump, if you like, of kind of going, well, I don't know what to ask. I mean, we've talked on a superficial level for so long, I don't even know how to kind of create a love map of my partner and put in extra information about her or him that I didn't know. So something like that can be helpful. I guess I should ask you, do you get a cut for every app you sell? (laughs) I haven't yet, but I should write to John Gottman and say, look, I think I've actually made you a little money. How about 50%? But at $2.99, it may not be worth the trouble. Yes, yes. One final question, Paul. Where can people find help if they need it? Well, you know, Bruce, it's really interesting that when we have a sore tummy or a sore leg or kidney problem, we have no problem going to a doctor. You know, nobody hesitates, nobody looks down at us. So why should it be any different when we have relationship issues? Would we not look for a relationship expert? And the people who are trained in couples counselling and research shows that it actually works pretty well for many couples. It doesn't work for everybody, but nothing works for everybody. It actually has a pretty good success rate why would you not go to somebody who's trained in couples counselling? And there are numerous couples counsellors around that advertise themselves as couples counsellor. They register with appropriate professional bodies and do their work according to well-accepted ethical guidelines and based on good, solid theory. Mm, Good advice. Thanks, Paul. I've been talking to Paul Borges, who's a couples counsellor and lecturer in counselling at Avondale College of Higher Education. And thanks to you for listening to this RetireNotes.com podcast. Mm.